Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Genesis 2.19-20. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. <clears throat> Genesis three seventeen b through 19. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. All right, good afternoon. My name is Aaron. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at Exilic, and I want to welcome you to our church, especially if it's like your first or second time here. Uh, we're super grateful that you're here. Uh, as Pastor Gene mentioned, we are kicking off a series on faith and work. Uh, we are a why-driven church, uh, so let me explain why we are doing this new series on faith and work for the next six weeks. Uh, over the past seven and a half years, we've done some sporadic teaching on faith and work, but we've never devoted an entire teaching series to uh, the, the idea of faith and work. But I actually think that right now in our current cultural moment, it's a great opportunity for us to talk about faith and work because so much of the narrative around faith and work has changed over the past two years. So for example, uh, according to the New York Times, pre-pandemic, 80% of New Yorkers used to go into the office. You know what that number was as of last month in March? 37% of us. And so what that means is that the majority of us still work from home. And 37%, by the way, is a lot higher than what it was just a few months ago. So the majority of us still work from home. And this new ability and flexibility has created opportunities to work from anywhere around the world, right from our own bedroom. And so what we're seeing as a result of this is what sociologists, at least one of the reasons, uh, sociologists refer to as uh, not the Great Depression, but the Great Resignation. So people are quitting their jobs left and right because they now have the flexibility and the opportunities to work from anywhere around the world, right from their home, own home. You're not limited by geography uh, anymore. Uh, what, what has also happened is that because we now all work from home, the boundary line between home life and work life, super blurred. In fact, for many of us, that, that boundary line has now been completely removed. And so some studies are now showing that we actually now work more than we used to. So we work in the morning, there's a peak there, peak after lunch, but there's a new peak between 8 to 11 p.m. So we're now getting emails from work round the clock. So the narrative around work has changed dramatically over the past two years, but here's what has not changed. New Yorkers are still the hardest working people in the country. Many of you, some of you work 70, 80. I know some of you work 90 hours a week, which is crazy. And in our city in particular, marriage and kids is not the way we, we find our identity, not here. 
the, the dominant way that we still find our identity in our city is work. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is this, what role does my faith play in terms of the intersection of faith and work? Because Christianity is not just about you coming to church on Sunday, but it's also about how we can connect our Sunday to our Monday through Friday. And our faith has a lot to say about our Monday through Friday and our jobs. So to get the wheels turning a little bit, let me just, let me just kick off our series with a question. What is the purpose of a pen? It's to write. What's the purpose of a coffee pot? Make the greatest drink in the world. What's the purpose of a bed? It's to sleep. But what is the purpose of work? Is it just to pay your bills? Just so that you can get your parents off your back? Is it a means to an end so you can just travel and live the good life? Is it so that people will respect you? What is the purpose of work? There's three things I want to talk about as we think about this. Number one, why do we work? Number two, what is work? Number three, why are we also frustrated with our work sometimes? Okay, so let's kick off with verse one. With a very iconic opening sentence of the Bible. In verse one, we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. One of the fascinating things about Genesis uh, is even if you've read it a hundred times, there's always new insights that you can extract from it, including verse one. When you take a look at verse one, what is the first way that God introduces himself to us? Is it as a loving father? No, although he is. Is it as a just judge? No, although he is. Is it as a king? No, although he is. What's fascinating is that the very first time God ever introduces himself to us, it's as a creative. He's a worker. He's a master sculptor. And so he makes the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, the plants, the oceans, and the masterpiece of his creation is you. Because we are the only ones that actually reflect the image of God. Nothing else does. Things point to God, but nothing reflects his own image. And so what we see in Genesis 1 is that the very first thing that God, the way that he introduces himself is as a worker. And so what that means is that in Christianity, if God works, what that means is that there is an inherent dignity and value and worth behind our work. There's inherent dignity behind our work. Now, what I want to do is to contrast Christianity with some other ancient um, texts. Okay, so for those of you who love history, you'll appreciate this. In uh, ancient Babylonian mythology, uh, there's one story in particular called the Enuma Elish. And in the Enuma Elish, there's a god named Marduk. And what Marduk does, this god, is he makes mankind. Why does he make mankind? So that man will work and Marduk can go chill on the hammock and rest. So in Babylonian mythology, work is seen in a very negative light. It's for something that humans are called to do, slaves, but us gods, we rest. We don't work at all. Greek mythology, many of you might be familiar with the the ancient mythology of Pandora's box. What does Pandora do? She's so curious at, you know, with this box and and she opens up the lid. And what happens when Pandora opens up the lid? All these 
ills and curses come upon mankind, like COVID and, and disease and illness and work. Work also comes out. And so in Greek mythology, very negative view of work. But when you take a look at Christianity from its earliest onset, we see that Christianity has a very high view of work. It has inherent dignity. God himself works. And because we're made in his image to reflect him, we are also called to work. We are many creators, or as uh, Tolkien would say, we are sub-creators. We are many workers that are called to reflect uh, the work that he does. And what's interesting to me is that when you take a look at scripture, work appears in Genesis 1 and 2. It doesn't appear after Genesis 3 when sin enters into the world. In other words, work is not a result of sin, but work precedes sin. So again, it has inherent dignity, value, and worth. And so what that means is, it's my hypothesis, what that means is if it has inherent dignity, value, and worth because God works, what that means is we are probably going to work in heaven too. And I was sharing this with someone in my CG and they're like, oh shoot, that stinks. <laughs> Gotta work in heaven too, what's <laughs> up with that? But it has, we have a very high doctrine of the, uh, uh, our doctrine of, of vocation. Uh, in fact, I would, as, I would go as far as to say that not only does work have inherent dignity, but we actually need to work. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, my father-in-law, probably one of the hardest working guys I know, okay, he, he, uh, he would work sometimes seven, seven days a week at his deli. He's also experienced long stretches of time, sometimes years, where he would not work. So imagine a, a person that loves to work, now not working for like years. And you would think, oh, fun employment, this is great. And it is for a few months. But for a few years, it can feel very dehumanizing and brutalizing. Okay, unemployment sometimes can feel even more dehumanizing than working at a bad job because in a bad job, you're still contributing. But in unemployment, you're not. And the reason why you feel that dehumanizing effect, taking if, if any of us have experienced it before, the reason why you feel that is because you were made to work. That's why you feel the way that you do. That's why you feel like you're not, you're not doing what you were designed to do. That's why it feels dehumanizing because we're made in the image of God a God that works. And so this is, what, uh, this is why we work, because God works. It has inherent dignity, value, and worth. Now, second question, why do we work? Take a look at Genesis 2.15. What is work? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God didn't put Adam and Eve in the garden to trash it, but he put Adam and Eve in the garden to work it and to take, uh, take good care of it as well. So here's my working definition of work, okay? Adam and Eve didn't make the garden, they didn't make the fruit, they didn't make the animals, these were things God made. So here's my working definition of work. Work is uh, stewarding God's resources that he made, so stewarding God's resources for the thriving of humanity. That's what, that's what work is, stewarding God's resources uh, for the thriving of humanity. So this is the reason why we promote Earth Day. It's not because we're a woke church. We promote Earth Day because it's theological. God made this planet. He clearly tells Adam and Eve to work it and take care of it. Don't 
trash it. Yes, it's for pragmatic reasons so the next generation can have a better planet to live on, but it's not just for pragmatic reasons, it's for theological reasons. This is God's world. We can't trash it. We're called to work it and to take good care of it. And so we see another example of this in verse 19 and 20. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the animals. Super fascinating about chapter two is that God is the one that makes the animals, but he doesn't name the animals. Instead, he brings elephants and giraffes all to Adam, and he says, you name them. And so what we see here as early as Genesis 2 is taxonomy. He's cataloging, classifying, naming animals in an orderly way for the thriving of humanity and animals and the planet that we live on. So here's another definition of work. And I'm borrowing this from Mark Knoll. Mark Knoll says that this is what work is. It is taking God's raw materials, like animals, and arranging them in such a way for human flourishing and the flourishing of culture. Taking God's raw materials, arranging them in such a way for human thriving and for culture to thrive. Now let's get super practical. What does this look like for many of you? Okay, so last week if you were here, uh, Sarah Hum shared her story. Uh, what she didn't share is that she's actually a theater producer. So what does, what, what, does, what does work look like for a theater producer? You're taking the raw materials of human interactions to tell a story. If you're a musician, what are you doing? You're taking the raw material of sound and you're arranging it in such a way to make something beautiful. So when my, my, my daughters, they pound on the keyboard, that's not music. That's not, that's not arranged nicely. It's like noise. They're just playing. They're not working. Musicians, they arrange the notes in such a way where people like Maya Angelou can find refuge, where we can find entertainment, right, for human flourishing and culture. When you're coding, what do you do? Take the raw materials of letters, numbers, dots, slashes, and you're arranging that code to make an app for human thriving. If you're a chef, you're taking the raw material of food and you're arranging it in such a way for human thriving and flourishing. If you're an interior designer like Joanna Gaines, it's crazy what she can do with shiplap. It's like a piece of wood and she can make it look incredibly uh, beautiful. If you're, a, if you're in fashion, you're arranging clothes, cottons, in such a way to make something artistic. If you're a leader, you're arranging people the raw material people, repositioning, hiring, and you're arranging it in such a way where your company or organization can thrive. If you're a doctor, general surgeon, if you're a dentist, you're arranging raw materials, teeth, hearts, in such a way where that pers person's body can thrive. If you're a stay-at-home dad like I was or mom, you're taking that raw material of poop and pee and you're rearranging it in such a way where that little human being can thrive. Is that enough examples? We can probably go on and on, but you get the point. This is what work is. We're taking God's raw materials, arranging it in such a way where we can thrive. God makes the sun, the moon, and stars so we can thrive, and similarly, we have to work so humanity can thrive as well. The point of your jobs is not just to make a buck. 
It's not just to pay the bills. It's not just so you can eat and travel. It's for something much larger than just ourselves, even if it means you pick up the trash. So I just want to think about this for a little bit, okay? I know that in our society, we look at maybe garbage men uh, as doing something that is like menial work, like picking up the trash. But I want you to think about this for a moment. As far as I know, our city is the only city that dumps trash on the sidewalk. Most other cities, they put it in like dumpsters or bins. We just put our trash right on the sidewalk. Now, do you know what would happen if people didn't come to pick up our trash for even like a couple months? We already have more rats in our city than people. Did you know that? We have more rats than people. Imagine for a moment if for a span of a few months, people did not pick up the trash. Our city would be unlivable. And so from a Christian framework, there is no such thing as a menial job if you're contributing to the flourishing of humanity, even if it means picking up trash. All work has inherent dignity, uh, value, and worth. And so one of the questions that we have to ask uh, ourselves is this, is what I'm doing Monday through Friday, is it just contributing to my own thriving or is it also contributing to our garden, our world, humanity thriving? Now granted, some jobs have make more of an impact, make more money, but every job, even if you're selling something at a kiosk in the mall, to, to being a mover and shaker on Wall Street, every job has some kind of inherent dignity, value, and worth if you are contributing to the thriving of uh, humanity. Now, let's get even more practical. So now you might be thinking, okay, what jobs are, co- like, what jobs are cool, what jobs are not cool? All right, so let's just throw a softball question out there, right? Prostitution, drug dealing, I think most of us would say it does not contribute to the thriving of humanity. So probably not, not okay, not good to do Monday through Friday. But let's get even more practical, right? That was the softball one. Someone in our community makes clickbait. And they asked me, is this okay or not? Or should I think about switching jobs? Now, I have some thoughts on this. But I suspect that my thoughts on this are limited and not as nuanced as some of you who actually work in advertising. One of my friends, he got an offer to work for a marijuana company. They make it and sell it. So he asked me, because he would make triple, he asked me, should I take this job or not? Now, I have some thoughts on that which I will not share with you, but some of you might know, have more nuanced thoughts than I do. And so here's the point. I can't just stand up here and say, yep, that job's good, that job's not good. What we have to do instead is many of you in your specific industries, you you know a whole lot more about the nuances and implications of your industry than I do. And so one of our hopes and ambitions and goals later this year, maybe into early next year, is to start vocational groups lawyers, doctors, teachers, stay-at-home moms and dads, engineers, whatever, right? Well, different groups where you can actually process and think together the intersection of faith and work with regards to your specific industry. And I'm really, really hoping that that will be profitable for us because there are so many of you that do, there's such a diversity of jobs in this room um, that I can share with you about, and I don't have the expertise that many of you do. And I think one of the reasons why we need these vocational groups is because all of us experience frustration 
at work. And this is the final point. If you take a look at Genesis 3, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from, from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it, you were taken for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now, I think we've all heard the adage, do something you love and you'll never work another day in your life. Totally not true. Like, even if you find your dream job, you're still going to work. Okay, and one of the reasons for that is because of the curse of sin. Okay, you are infected with sin. I'm infected. Your coworkers, your managers, your bosses, your teams, our systems, and even our planet hence COVID, is infected with the curse of sin. And so even if you're at your dream job, as, as Keller would say, even if you're, if you're at your dream job, you will experience frustration. And what is frustration? Frustration is a roadblock from you getting to your goal. There are things in your way. So it could be the people you work with who you can't tolerate, you can't stand, personality, uh, you just, you zig while they zag. It could be your bosses, your managers. Um, it could be the whole company or organization as a whole. I'll, I'll give you another example. What is the one question that every organization, company, church, and team has had to wrestle with over the past two years? What's the main question? How do I lead my clients, my team, my company, organization, and church through a crisis? That was the number one question over the past two years, Right? The racial injustice, COVID, political strife, the economy collapsing. How do I lead our group through a crisis? You know what that question is now, though, two years later? It's no longer how do I lead my company through a crisis, but it's how do I lead my company or church out of a crisis? Now, that question is completely different than through a crisis, and therefore the answers will be different. Now, if you're working with people that are not even thinking about this, they just want to revert back to their old ways in 2019, even though the world has changed. If you're working with people that are incompetent, if you're working with people that lack vision, that can be incredibly frustrating because, because of the dynamics of the situation, because of sin, because of the curse of sin, and the ramifications of sin. We continually experience frustration after frustration uh, with the work that we do, even if we are at our dream jobs. But the fact remains, even in the midst of sin, we still have a responsibility to steward the resources God has given to us for the thriving of humanity. Some of you might be familiar with the name Thomas Nagel, who is a philosophy professor right here at NYU. And Nagel says, and what does it all mean? Even if you produce a great work of literature, which continues to be read thousands of years from now, eventually the solar system will cool or the universe will wind down or collapse and all trace of your efforts will vanish. In any case, we can't hope for even a fraction of this kind of immortality. The problem is that although there are justifications and explanations for most of the things, big and small, that we do within life, none of these explanations explain the point of your life as a whole. The whole of which all these activities, successes, and failures, strivings, and disappointments are parts. If you think about the whole thing, there seems to be no point to it at all. So this is what Nagel is saying. And if you read Ecclesiastes chapter two, Ecclesiastes is my favorite book in the Bible. 
just read chapter 2, what Nagel is saying is ripped right out of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 because in Ecclesiastes, the author does the work experiment. And eventually, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, what, what, why am I working 70 hours a week? Like, what's the point of this? Like, I'm going to make all this money and grow this thing, and then I have to give it to someone else? And who knows what they're going to do with it? And so the author of Ecclesiastes is like, what's the point of work? The, the whole thing is vanity. It's meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind, as the author would say. But eventually, the author of Ecclesiastes says, ah, but there is dignity and value behind our work. Now, the question is, how did he find it? How did Nagel not find it? And the way that the author of Ecclesiastes finds the purpose and dignity behind the work that he does is by first asking the a priori question, and that is this. Not what is the purpose of work, but what is the purpose of humanity? Like, why are we here? We need to answer that before we ask the question, what is the purpose of work? Does that make sense? Why am I here? Like, we know the purpose of a pen, the purpose of a coffee pot, purpose of a, but what is my purpose? Humanity's purpose. And here the author of Ecclesiastes says that the answer is not found underneath the sun, where we can invent the own, our own meanings of life, but he says that the answer is above the sun. In other words, we were created to have a meaningful relationship with our creator. And this relationship is not boss, servant, boss, employee, but is a relationship of a loving God with his children, all right? Creator and creation, a meaningful relationship. Now, the problem is because of sin, relationship is broken. If you ever experience a fractured relationship, what do you have to do? You have to work to restore that relationship again. And so what God does is he sends his son with a job, and that job description is to restore this broken relationship again. So when you think about the gospel and Jesus in particular, his first job was as a carpenter. So again, if Jesus works, that means that there's inherent dignity behind all of our work. What does he do? He takes the raw materials of wood and he makes stone furniture. What's the second job? Rabbi, philosopher, teacher. What do rabbis do? They take the raw material of human thought and they organize it in such a way where we can form a worldview to understand who we are and why we're here. This is what philosophers, theologians do. He was a rabbi, but here was his third job. From the womb to the tomb, what was his job? His job was to work for our salvation. He lived a perfect life. He died the death that we deserve. And after he died, he rose again and he sits at the Father's right hand and he's still working to this day. You know what he's doing? He's interceding on our behalf. And one day he will come again and work to make a new heavens and a new earth. Our answer is not found in Mr. Musk and living in Mars. Our answer is found in living in a new heavens and a new earth that one day that he will make for us. But until that day we still work we steward the resources that god has given us in this broken world east of eden where there are thorns and thistles for the flourishing and thriving of humanity so let me just close with this uh, one wonderful member of our community um, he asked me to come and uh, do a um, store dedication service so he owns multiple uh, cleaners throughout our city and uh, I had never done anything like this before, so I asked him, you know, what is a, what is this like dedication service looks like? And he said, you know, if you could sing a hymn and maybe do a five-minute sermon.
So I was thinking about like, what could I say in like a few minutes to like dedicate this store to, to God in the Upper West Side? And so I was thinking about it and, and you know, very successful, he has multiple you know, locations throughout the city. And I thought, it can't, it can't just be for making money, right? Like, it, it can't, that can't just be the point. So there has to be more. And as I thought about it more and more, think about the significance of dry cleaning right now. As people slowly go back to work, right? I know that our Zoom uniform was like a dress shirt and like no pants or like sweats. But like, we have to wear pants now, right? When we go into the office, we need clothes. So he, he helps clean people's nice clothes so that they can go to work, so they can make an app, so that it can lead to human thriving. They will get paid. Now they can pay rent. Now they can buy food. And so he plays a small part in this giant ecosystem, just like the person that picks up the trash. He plays a small part in this giant ecosystem so that humanity can thrive. And so my question to you is, is that what you're doing Monday through Friday? Now, I realize that I may have just opened up Pandora's box, and you might have more questions now than you do answers, right? Like, okay, maybe I should. Is this okay or not? Can I take a job just for the money? Is there anything inherently wrong for, about that? Um, does the Bible say anything about a theology of risk? Should I do this startup or not? All sorts of questions that you might have, but at the very least, I hope with this uh, simple sermon, we, we, we learn three things. Why do we work? Because God works. It has inherent dignity, value, and worth. What is work? It is stewarding God's resources that he has made for the thriving of humanity. And as we experience frustration after frustration after frustration, know that he is with us in the tension. He himself entered into our tension to work. And still, the call for us is to renew this broken world that we live in today. and my hope is that as we, as we eventually launch our faith and work ministry, we can think through this more uh, and more and more. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, uh, probably a lot more questions and answers given today, but I'm, I'm hoping that at least from a foundational perspective, uh, we were able to gain some foundational biblical principles because the Bible has a whole lot to say about how we connect our Sunday to our Monday through Friday. Help our motors to turn Help us to work hard, help us to work smart, and help us to work for something bigger than ourselves as we love you and our love, uh, love our neighbors and we love our city. In your name I pray, amen.